0: Like we've already said, you must sit here, it's Mother's Day. And um, it's, it's always an interesting thing as pastors um, how much you let your local or even national calendar dictate what you do in church. You know, um, there's a tendency to kind of let what else is going on in culture, and you think, well, we have to do that in church because they do that everywhere. Um, the main thing is that you're led. The main thing is that you find out what's in the heart of God and do what He wants done uh, with every time you get together, every gathering, every service. But Sarah and I, in seeking the Lord about today, we're impressed that this, was, this would be a good opportunity, Mother's Day, to address some things, maybe specifically about motherhood, specifically about family. The Lord is big on family. Uh, He led me at the beginning of this year in my Bible reading to not just read what you and I are doing every day together in in our chapter a day, and if you haven't been doing that with us, let me encourage you to jump on board. We read a chapter out of the New Testament together every day, Monday through Friday. We do that as a church. We've got those bookmarks available that outline it. It's also online. You can find it there, but the Lord impressed me to add to that the Old Testament. So that's what I'm doing in my personal time, and I'm reading several chapters of the Old Testament every day. And uh, I was in the book of Numbers this past week, and whoo, Numbers. I'll tell you what, that's some exciting stuff right there. Uh, And I was reading, and it was one of those chapters. It wasn't a genealogy chapter, but man, it was close to it. God was going through, and he, he was having Moses record some things, and he recorded... Uh, all the names of the tribes and then the sons that were born out of that one and the sons that were born out of that guy and out of that guy and he was going through and he was counting. It's the book of numbers, right? And he's counting and there's X amount of thousands in this family and this many thousands in that family. And it's a pretty big range. There's a hundred thousand in this one. There's four thousand in that one. And, and I'm reading all of this and man, it was a long chapter, maybe felt longer than it actually was, but I got through the end of it and I said, Lord, can I just be honest with you here? What do you want me to get out of this? It's in here for a reason. There are no wasted words in scripture. So what is it I'm missing? What do you want me to see out of this? And man, I heard it in my heart so clearly. He spoke right up on the inside of me. He said, see how big I am on family that he gave not just one chapter, but chapter after chapter. And he dedicated it to naming each one identifying who came from whom. And, and there was a place in that chapter where there was a man who didn't have any sons and, and that he had four daughters and the daughters came to Moses and said, are we to be left out of the inheritance because my father didn't have sons? And Moses said, well, let me pray about it. And he went to God and God said, those daughters are right. And it was out of that, that God made provision, not just for men, but for men and women to have inheritance and he named them one by one and he counted them and he said, see how big I am on family. And that was in our heart from day one of this church, legacy church, raising a family in the house of faith. The Lord gave us that several years ago when she and I came up here to Colorado while we still lived in Texas to pray and seek him about his direction for what would be our church. And we didn't find out the location on that trip, although we wanted to. There was a lot of details we didn't come home with, but we came home with that. That the place would be called Legacy Church, and its mission would be raising a family in the house of faith. Because it's different in this house, isn't it? We talk a little differently than everybody else. We walk a little differently. We believe big time differently. But that's what it is to be raising a family in the house of faith. So what seemed good to Sarah and I was to spend some time today in light of Mother's Day, focused on that part of it. We don't often get to talk just about family, but um, this seemed like the right time. And there's something Jesus said. If you've got a Bible, open with me to the book of Mark chapter 7. I'm just going to mention a couple of things. And then I know the Lord's given Sarah some great things. In Mark chapter 7, in verse 1, it says... Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way. Listen to this, holding the tradition of the elders. Verse four, when they had come from the marketplace, or when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers and copper vessels and couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Now it sounds like they're saying, why didn't your disciples wash their hands before they ate? They're not just talking about washing your hands the way you and I know it. Put a little soap in there, a little water, rub them together, wash it off. This is a whole ceremony that they would go through before every meal. They would go through quite literally religiously, and it was not just washing their hands, but the way they would do it. And they would, I don't totally understand this, but they do it with clenched fist. It's like, well, how do you really get clean that way? I don't know. But this is what they did. With clench fists and they would wash all the way up to the elbow. Because if you're going to sit down to dinner, you want these elbows nice <laughs> and clean, right? I don't know. I don't get it all, but it's tradition. And perhaps they understood some things in it that that you and I don't understand, but I think when you look even at our traditions, there's stuff we do and if somebody would say, "Why do you do that?" you'd go, I have no idea. Mama did it. Daddy did it. His mama, her mama did it. Right? Tradition. And this is what they are coming to Jesus, fussing with him about that his disciples don't keep tradition. They don't wash the way the elders taught everybody else to wash with the clenched fist and up to the elbow and this whole ceremony and the washing of the cup and the pitcher and all of it. In other places in scriptures, Jesus, he called these guys on it and I'll paraphrase, but he was like, what's your deal with washing? Cause they were really serious about washing the outside of the cup. There was this whole ceremony for washing the outside of the cup. And Jesus is like, what's your deal with the outside of the cup? And that's where he told them. And even in here in the next few verses, he talked to them about not the outside that defiles, but the inside. But when Jesus, when they said this to him in verse 6, he answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites? Hypocrites. We talked about this recently, that that word hypocrite is literally the Greek word for actor. And other translations bear that out. You're actors on the stage of life portraying something you are not. And that's what he said to these Pharisees when he called them a hypocrite. He said, you you faker, you actor. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Lord said something to me years ago. He said, you know, you can actually measure how much hypocrisy is in your life. Just simply measure the distance between your lips and your heart. Now, he's not talking about your physical lips to your physical blood pump. He's talking about the distance between what you're saying and what you actually believe on the inside. And however much space there is between your words and what's actually in your heart, that's how much hypocrisy is in your life. And that's what Jesus was saying to these guys. Oh yeah, you know how to honor God with these words coming out of your mouth, but your heart is somewhere else. And how many of you know with God, it's always about the heart. He said, your heart is far from me. Verse seven, in vain, they worship me. Your worship is supposed to produce something in your life, but vain means it's empty. It's powerless. It's unproductive. What keeps your worship from producing anything? Teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many Uh, other such things you do. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. This was something they were very guilty of, but let's not judge them. Is it possible that, that we have picked up some traditions in our life and that there are people who, who weighing out God's word versus tradition, go with tradition? Oh, it's happening all the time. We would all love to think, man, I'm a hundred percent word, baby. I'm pure word in my life. Ha! You wish, I wish. Tradition gets in. And tradition is just simply, simply something that's been handed to you from one generation to another. And it gets in and we accept things uh, as fact and truth that are just tradition. And one of the things we wanna be on the watch and guard for all the times in our life and that Sarah and I watch like a hawk over in this church and ministry is that we're not just doing something because we saw somebody else do it. That's tradition. We wanna do everything by revelation, inspiration from the Spirit of God where we got it from Him and not just from somebody else. Jesus said, if you're doing it by tradition, You've taken all the power out. The Word of God's not producing what it's capable of producing because you've replaced it for tradition. So how many of you want to be on the watch for this in your life? That everything you do and you do, especially those things you do over and over, you want to be able to point to the Scripture and say, this is where I got that. This is why I do that. And Jesus said, You guys do this with a lot of stuff, talking to these hypocrites, these Pharisees, with many such things you do this. And then he gave them an example, one example. Now we already know he could have picked from a lot of different things, but he gave them one example. And here it was, verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death but you say, so he's got, here's what the word says, but here's what you say through tradition. You say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might've received from me is korban, that means a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition handed down and many such things you do. He told him this has happened in a lot of things and he gave him one example and the one example he gave him was about honoring father and mother. Mm-hmm. How many of you can see, he's big on family. Yeah, he could have picked one out of 600-and-something laws, mm-hmm. and this is the one he gave. Yeah. And he said that through your tradition, you're making the word of God of no effect. Now this particular commandment to honor your father and mother we know it's the first commandment that came with a promise. What was that promise? Long life. He said, if you honor your father, honor your mother, it'll go well with you and you'll have long life. Evidently, God takes it personally when we honor mama. And this is not something that should just be relegated to one day in the spring. This should be a lifestyle. It should be one of the things that define us as people of faith, that we honor what God honors, and we honor who God honors. And I realize some people come from hard situations, hard family situations, where their parents weren't good to them, made bad choices. And <laughs> I know my dad told me one time as a young man, he, he and I were kind of going back and forth on something, I guess, and I, I wasn't happy with something he, maybe mom did, I don't know. He said, you know, I remember when I found out my parents weren't perfect. He said, I remember when I found out my parents were capable of making mistakes. I know I've made mistakes as a dad. I won't speak for you, but I know every one of us, we, we could say we could raise a hand and say, yeah, there are things I've missed it in. But on a day like this, and in obedience to the Word, we're not just honoring a person or their perfection. We're honoring their God-given place. And even when somebody's made mistakes and you think, well, I can't respect that. I can't honor that. Okay, I get it. Can you honor the place? God is big on place. And I'll say this and turn it over to you, but this is one of the reasons. Personally, I'm just gonna give you some insight into my personal life here. I don't get on board with people slandering the president. And I know who's in office. I know the decisions they're making and I'm probably like many of you. There's probably a lot of things you and I don't agree with in the direction uh, that these leaders take our country. Sure, but there's a place. There's a place that's been given. And when you can't honor the person, you can still honor the place. And if you were to study this out, Jesus identifies and helps us identify how we honor. And one of the big things he talks about is the way you speak about them. Now he's already identified giving to them. He said, you Pharisees say, you don't, you don't honor your father and mother. You say, Hey, whatever thing I would have given you, I gave to God. So, you know, deal with it. He's talking about being a blessing to them, And Jesus said, it's not right. You've changed the word of God. You've made a tradition out of disobeying the word. He's talking about honoring our parents by being a blessing materially, financially. And he goes on to talk about we honor them with how we speak to them and how we speak about them. You can honor the place even when mistakes have been made. You can honor the place by guarding what you say. By speaking favorably to them and about them. And These are things that should define our homes. Talk about raising a family in a house of faith. This is one of those things right here where we cultivate an environment of respect. We cultivate an environment of gratitude and not rebellion. Amen? Amen. Amen. All that to say Jesus is big on family. And as the Lord leads us, we're gonna emphasize it more and more and more and more in our church. And she and I have been talking and praying about some things. Can't tell you just all about them just yet, but there's some good things coming that are gonna give us opportunity to really focus on family.
1: Whew, that was so good. I, I just have so many things in my heart right now as you're speaking, you know, that's... Uh, what we what we can do to honor the people God has put in our lives. Honor is huge to the Lord, huge. And in our culture, in our generation, the enemy has worked over time to remove it yeah. from our lives because it affects the blessing. That's right. It affects the fruit that we will see as a result of obeying God in this area. And a lot of people, they try to you know, dismiss it and say, well, that's, you know, <laughs> that's not of the New Testament or that's more in the Old Testament where they had all these honorable rituals and things like that. That in itself is a tradition, but no, the heart of honor that's is right. what God is wanting to get at. And this church is a church that is full of the honor of God yeah. and will be a place that's known for its honor. And, you know, I, I wasn't planning on, think, I was thinking about this, but it so ties in so clearly, you know, as I was praying over this, this weekend, I kept hearing the Lord say to me, you know, what are the things as a mother we can do to create a household of honor, to create a home that is full of honor and one of the greatest things that I have learned and you know maybe it's because I've had the privilege of being around men and women in the ministry and who had know these things have have walked with God in these areas so uh, it's amazing to see the fruit in their life but I had one woman one time probably 10 years ago I was we were preaching at a church up north and she wrote me a card and she put money in the card And Jeremy and I were actually the guest ministers that weekend. But in this card with the money, she said one thing to me, and that's all she said to me. She was the pastor's wife of this church. She didn't ever talk to me about anything else or go into detail about anything. We didn't have any deep conversations. The one thing she wanted to tell me to remember was this. She wrote it in the card. Teach your children to honor their father. And I thought, what is that? Why? Why is that the most important thing you want to share with me? And then she just gave me a ton of money in this card, trying to express to me the importance of what she was saying to me. Well, when you teach your children how to speak of their father and, and to respect and honor the father, it ultimately teaches them to ha- how to live a lifestyle of honor. And it teaches them ultimately how to honor not just their natural father, but their Father God. Yeah. And um, I as I prayed over this week, I, I thought about these things. And I don't even know if this was the direction we were totally thinking about going in this morning, but you know, you just want to flow with the Holy Ghost when you get in here on a Sunday morning, because He knows what each one of us need to hear at every point in the service. But the Bible does talk about it, it says, Children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And you can go back and read this, but mm. children obey your parents. But then it goes on to talk about the next group of people, which there is an, an, there is definitely honor and obedience, but it says then honor your father and mother because there is a great reward that comes with doing this. And so children... Are to obey their parents, but as you get older, there's a transition from childhood to adulthood or to brotherhood with your parents, where it changes from an obedience to an honor. And I've learned this in life and to know that delicate transition, you know, those are sometimes hard for children to transition to adulthood and know the difference between just obeying and doing everything parents say to moving on to it's time for me to honor you. This is past adolescence. And as I was thinking about this, I started to think about uh, some different things that people have told me over the years. I know uh, Jeremy's grandpa told me at one point, he said, you know, it's important to know that at s- there is a time when you transition, your parents are supposed to transition from being your parental figure, father or mother, to being your brother or sister in Christ. And it's a very healthy transition that moves from one period of time into the next and God designs it like that and if you try to live in one era of time without changing into the era that God is moving you into there's friction there's turmoil there can be problems so I went back and I thought about this. You know, what is it to be a brother and sister in Christ? The difference between that and just being a parent. And there are these, it's amazing, but really it's a it's a a time where you develop a greater prayer life for your family. Now, listen, this is super important. We prayed this out this morning and I, I heard some wonderful things. So I'm asking you guys to really hook up with us. Yes. But one of the most powerful things Um, is looking at the stages of a child's life and what they need in all of those developmental stages. And as I've gone through and looked at my family, uh, looked at, you know, I have so many funny stories and so many great stories that the Lord's taught us, but I started to pray and I could not stop thinking about the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. So let's look at that and Really, this story starts out with a mom, with a mother. And not just any old, uh, ordinary mother. She was a mother who honored God. She was a mother who put the kingdom of God first place in her family's life. And it was Hannah. And I don't know if you remember this story, but if you go back to the first book of Samuel, chapter 1, this Her husband actually had two wives, her and another woman. And, you know, back in that time, that was pretty normal, ordinary. And this story is in the Bible for us today. So it's very important that we do not neglect some of these wonderful passages of Scripture, even in the Old Testament. Her husband was married, and her and his other wife had many children and she, it says in the word that she would provoke Hannah. What does that mean? It means to provoke, to provoke someone means to bring them to anger. She probably said many words that were evil, hateful, spite. They were, they were um, they, she compared herself to Hannah because Hannah could not have children. And she could. So she always erred on that prideful, that side of I'm going to show you how much better than I, I am than you. And so Hannah felt oftentimes provoked. And at one point, they went up, they were going to go up to serve the Lord to the temple. They went as accustomed as their family every year to go up and bring their sacrifice to the temple. And it, uh, this other wife had provoked her again, had angered her, had upset her, talked all about how she didn't have children and how God had shut up her womb, which wasn't actually the case, but that's the way they spoke about it. In verse eight, her husband comes to her and she sa- he says, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart so grieved? And basically he was saying to her is, do you have anything to be thankful for? Are you thankful for me? Do you believe that there's any way God could do anything better for you? And so they went up to the, to the temple and they saw Eli, the priest, verse 9, was sitting on the seat of the doorposts of the tabernacle of the Lord. And Hannah, it says she had bitterness of soul. She began to weep and she began to pray and she began to cry out to the Lord. Now, in, you know, we have so much revelation and knowledge today about what faith is. We've seen so much after Jesus died for us and gave us a whole new life worth living. But back then... At this time, Hannah, this is the way she knew to pray. She still, you have to think about what she did to honor God in this moment. She still went to God as her source. And she began to cry out to him and pray to him. And she asked him for a child. And she asked him in verse 11 to remember her, not to forget her. And she prayed the best she knew how. Did you know that God, if you will honor him even in the best that you know how, if you'll pray with a genuine, tender, sincere heart, he will still meet you where you're at.
0: Doesn't have to be technically.
1: Doesn't have to be technically perfect, which brings me to another point. We don't have to be the word police. Come on. We don't have to always nitpick and look for everything everybody does and say that it's not quite perfect and not spiritual like me or like, you know, you don't have to try to compare everything to just your knowledge. Some people, people all over the world are crying out to God, getting their prayers answered. Yeah. And seeing God move in their lives, even if it's not technically perfect. Yeah. So when we leave church, when we leave another service, maybe somewhere else or with the people of God, we shouldn't just go into our list of of errors that happened in that service. Come on. We should be open to God moving in our midst and doing what he can do in spite of who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and you know what that should look like? It doesn't have to look a certain way all the time. Now, yeah, go ahead and do your best and follow this word accordingly. But I'm telling you, he goes, he's looking, looking at, the at the heart, heart. At more than he's looking at anything. That's right. So there's been mamas all through time who have cried out to God because they loved him and they honored him. And he heard their prayer. That's right. Amen. And I love this in verse 11. She says this, remember me and don't forget your maidservant. But give your maidservant a male child and then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. Which that that term, that phrase just means that he will be consecrated or dedicated to the Lord, I will do this. This will be my choice to give him back to the Lord all the days of his life. And I love this. He goes on, and Eli says to her at the end of this prayer, he says, go in peace, verse 17, and the God of Israel will will grant your petition which you have asked of him. Verse 18, she says, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She believed believed what the prophet said. Amen. She believed the word of God. And then I love this. They go back home, and it says this in verse 19, Her husband, Elkanah, knew Hannah, his wife, which represents intimacy, and the Lord remembered her. There were three parties involved in this baby coming to pass. And to look to the Lord, to find out from the Lord, go to the Lord as your source. I believe there's women in here today that are believing God for for children. Did you know this is a special service for you this morning? And we have seen miracle baby after miracle baby after miracle. I can't even count how many babies, miracle babies we have seen in this ministry over the last 15, 20 years. It's been awesome. So verse 20, um, in a process of time, Hannah conceived, she bore a son. And it was time for them to go back up to the temple as they did. What was this, this action of going to the temple? It was not just a tradition for them. There was a heart of honor within this family. And they would make their way to bring their sacrifice before God. And to for their yearly sacrifice. But it says in verse 22, Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned. And then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. I heard this said a while back that You should, and I should, wean our children off of us as soon as possible, not onto themselves, but onto the Holy Ghost. Why? Because there comes a time in life where we will not always be with them, and they have got to serve God for themselves, and they have got to go after God, not because you told them to, but because God put it in their heart, and they received it, and they ran with it on their own. Do you know that prayer has more power in a mom's life than putting pressure on their child? That's right. Prayer goes a long way, then a lot farther than pressure ever will. Yeah. And there is power behind a praying woman, behind a praying mama. There's power. And I think about this um, Well, let's just keep reading this, but it says that her husband encouraged her, wait until you have weaned him and let the Lord establish his word.
0: Can I say something here? There was a part in that verse, verse 23, Elkanah, her husband said to her, do what seems best to you.
1: So being led by the Holy Ghost, listening at every stage in life.
0: That's a good thing for a husband to say to a woman of faith, do what seems best to you. You're talking about the power of prayer over pressure, the power of praying. Well, that's putting something in God's hands and not pressing or controlling it, trying to keep it in yours. And this is as much for us men and husbands and fathers as it is for wives and mothers. Did you notice this example where he said, do what seems best to you? What's he saying? I trust. I trust God in you. I trust that you hear from the Holy Ghost. I trust that you know what's best for this boy. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. faith. So good. Go ahead.
1: So <clears throat> being able to recognize at each season in life when it's time for more weaning is a powerful part motherhood of parenting. And to go back over the years and to see what stage to look at, what stage, and to listen and to be led, to watch and pray. You know, that Proverbs 31 woman, it says that she watches over the ways of her household. The New Testament tells us to watch and pray. But to watch over the ways of your household is not just to keep a clean house. That's nice, it's great. Let's do that. <laughs> but to watch over the ways of your household is to actually watch over the paths that the people in your house, household are taking. It's to watch over the companies that they're traveling with. That's what it says in the Hebrew. To watch over the company that your children are keeping. Come on. To watch over those things. And you know how you watch over it the best? In prayer. Yeah. You can watch and pray. And then as you go on and read this, there's a weaning that takes place in all these stages. If you look at the stage of a, stages of a child's life, there's a very special developmental stages. There's, there's a newborn and an infant stage. Then there's a toddler stage. There's a preschool stage. And there's, then there's a school age stage. And then there's an adolescence And each of these time periods are between certain ages. And at each of these junctions in life, we should be weaning our children off of us more and more and onto the Lord. Then when they get to those times when they're headed off to college and going on to do the things, they know what to do. And I, I love this because I was going back and I was thinking about the different stages of life. Now, when I was a baby, I love this story. My dad when I was a newborn, took me out in the front yard of our house. I didn't find this out until a few years ago. And he held me up before the Lord. Him and the Lord. He held me there and he dedicated me to the Lord. You know, he also dedicated me in the church service where we come in, we all pray together, wonderful thing to do, biblical thing to do. But it was also something between him and the Lord. Like... Hannah did. I'm going to give him, I'm giving her to you, Father, for your use, to be useful to you for your kingdom. I'm giving her this gift that you've given to me, I'm giving her back to you. And he did that. And as if you read here, you see that Hannah said this about Samuel. If you go on, verse 24. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her. All the things for the sacrifice when the child was very young. Scholars believe he was around three years old. They, at verse 26, it says, she says to Eli, the prophet, "Oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by here praying to the Lord. And she prayed for that child, but she was to continue to pray for that child. Verse 27, for this child I have prayed. The Lord has granted me or given me this petition which I have asked of him. Therefore, I have also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And then they worship the Lord there. To lend in this passage in the Hebrew means to give or to lend on request. God was asking for him. And as he does with each one of our precious children, he asks us for them. He gives them to us for stewardship, for a season. But ultimately, they belong to him. It means to give or to lend on request and then to let that one asking have them successfully. And in this passage, she goes on in this point to pray again. And in this whole passage, she begins to rejoice in the Lord for what he's done for her. That he gave her this special gift. That he didn't leave her barren. That he he didn't leave her in a place of shame. That he heard her and did not forget her. And then it goes on to say in verse 11... That when his dad went to the house of Ramah, put the, uh, but the child, oh, he went back home, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. At a very young age, he began to minister to the Lord. In verse 18, Samuel ministered to the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Now, I was just going through thinking about these different stages, you know, when justice was four years old, we believed that the Lord was dealing with us about putting him in preschool for a few days a week. And Jeremy and I, it was a moment that we had the opportunity to wean him a little bit more. <laughs> and it was a Christian school, it was gonna be good for him to be around friends, but he, I believe that children need the opportunity to overcome, to learn how to overcome in life and to give them the opportunities. Did you know that, this really is, all, what we could say about this, that this is what we're talking about here is the kind of motherhood that honors God, but it's a fearless motherhood. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's a mother that resists fear in the home.
0: Yeah.
1: That refuses to maintain, uh, to hold on past what is right and what is God's and fear is not a feeling fear is not just your is not your liver being clogged up and it's making you fearful there's a lot of people that say all kinds of stuff fear fear is a spirit it's an influencer and it will try to influence you and I day and night. It doesn't matter how far you've gone with God. It doesn't matter how many times you've resisted it. It will try, and it will try, and it will try again. But to be the kind of woman that watches and prays and then resists the fear from coming on your family, from coming to you, You No fear produces insecurity. And insecurity controls. You might say, Oh, I know that person, they're very controlling. No, you don't, you gotta go look at the root of what's going on. It's not just that someone is controlling. They have dealt with a spirit of they have had a spirit of fear that has produced a lot of insecurity in their life. And that insecurity will try to hold on and will keep those children from doing what all they're called to do. And so I love this about Hannah that she said, I'm going to lend him to the Lord. And should we not all say that about our babies? Anyway, when Justice was four, he was going to preschool. Jeremy and I went into the pantry to make his lunch the night before. And with all the food surrounding us in the dark, we embraced each other and started to cry like two big babies that our four-year-old was going to preschool. Okay, was that hard on us, letting go a little bit? In the natural, it was. But we had the opportunity to trust God with him more than we had ever trusted God with him before. I was thinking about this. You know, the next stage of development was probably more like where my kids are now, the school age. And, you know, my kids love to run. I don't know what it is. They've loved to run since they were tiny. Tiny. And Justice actually, when we would travel, we were on the road for 10 plus years before we ever started the church. We would go to pastors and we would meet them for the first, these churches, meet these pastors for the first time. Justice would walk straight up to a pastor and he would shake his hand and he'd say, hi, I'm Justice James Pearson. He was only three. I'm Justice James Pearsons. I'm the fastest boy in the world. And he would take off running around the whole room to show him how fast he was. Now he, he didn't know I was going to embarrass him this morning. This is pretty funny. Welcome to big church. I know, buddy. right? <laughs> he like leaned over to me in church and he was like, Mom, is this what it's like every week? <laughs> like, yes. But he would take off running around. Well, you know, this past uh February, we attend the Greater Faith Conference in Sarasota, Florida every year. That's our uh church that we you know are part of our pastors there, and we were there and staying on the beach we went out to the beach every during the day and then we'd have services at night well like the second day we were there we went out to the beach and our kids said to us we're, we always like to go on long walks all the way down the coast on siesta key we went all the way down long walk on the beach and justice and jesse said hey mom dad we're going to go for a run they always do this every year they love to run and they go take off for a run and come back you know well this year they went for the run and we're all walking on the beach they took off and I don't know how much longer.
0: She and I were walking along, walking and talking, walking and talking and 25, 30 minutes later, we're thinking, we haven't seen these guys in a while. And the further we get down the beach, the more and more crowded it's becoming. So it had been a little while since we saw them.
1: Yeah, so then we realized this something's not right. They had been gone for a really long time, and as we went down the beach, we got to more and more crowded areas, very crowded beach, public beach areas, and our children were nowhere to be found. The
0: rule was always when they were little, stay where we can see you, and for whatever reason, they <laughs> abandoned that rule that day.
1: He, Justice doesn't like hearing about this. He's, yeah. They kept going and going. It was probably a mile and a half down from where we had taken off the, on the walk. So I just kept praying and I began to pray. And I, and I, y'all, I, I have not experienced that kind of fear trying to come on me for a really long time. And I began to pray and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I was trying to get a release. Lord, where are my children? I, I had no idea. Jesse, I didn't even know if Jesse and Justice were together. And I have a beautiful, I had a beautiful nine-year-old, you know, at the time. I, what, where is she? You know, and she's, is she out there by herself in the middle of, I mean, the thousands and thousands of people. And so I'm I'm going, I'm praying. Finally, I decide, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm a faith person. I'm gonna pray the prayer of faith. I refuse to be anxious. I resist the spirit of fear. I kept, I kept doing it. And Jeremy's like, I'm gonna ha- head back to the hotel and look for them and see if they went back there for some reason and we missed them. And you keep going. Well, I kept going and I was asking the Holy Ghost, what should I do? Where should I look for them? I finally got to this huge public beach and I had the thought, go ask that lady to use her phone. I went over to this lady, I grabbed her phone, called Jeremy, have you seen him? Oh, I didn't have my phone with me. That was silly too, that I, anyway. Have you seen him, hadn't seen him? She goes up to talk to the lifeguard and the lifeguard gets on with all of his other lifeguards down the beach to find my children. And finally I told him, I said, they're wearing these clothes and they spotted two children still running that looked like the ages. of Justice and Jesse, found them. And see, my kids know not to talk to strangers, so they're yelling at them, Justice, Jesse, Justice. And they were—they didn't even turn around and look at them. They're like, no, we gotta keep going, you know. <laughs> so finally, I think they got a the clue. It's time to go back to mom and dad. Came back, we found them. I am i am literally shaking. I mean, this was, I don't know how long later, maybe an hour. I mean, not to find your children for an hour is interesting. But all I to say, I um, I was walking back to the hotel with them. They they know they are in so much trouble. I mean, they're in so much trouble. Their dad had a good law, a good talk with them, and um, I'm just shaken up. I had actually, you know, I had gotten, I had started crying. I had, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm a faith person. I'm gonna stand in faith. Okay, y'all. I asked the Lord honestly. Lord, I said, I'm just praising you and thanking you, you for taking care of them. And I heard him say to me so clearly, you did one thing wrong. I'm like, okay. Do you know the Lord might tell you, like correct you sometimes and tell you this was what you did wrong? Well, he knows I'm open to it because he knows I want to do it better next time. I said, what is it, Lord? And he said, after you prayed the prayer of faith, you never praised me for the victory. You never praised me like you had found them. And I thought, okay, I did that wrong. Lord, I repent. I'm going to get that right. And praise God, we found my children. All that to say, I lit, I weaned them off <laughs> a little bit. And they made a mistake. But I was a praying mom. And God met me where I was, answered my prayer, took care of my children. He loved them more than even I love them. He loves them more than even I love them. He's got a plan for their lives, and he belongs to them. And so I have had to have honest conversations with the Lord. Lord, when my children get to be this age, and my parents did this with me, they gave me to the Lord. They never kept me back from going deeper into the things of God. They never kept me back from serving a church and serving God. They never kept me back from studying the Word and going after God. They didn't even tell me which way to go in my life. They didn't tell me who to marry. They didn't preach at me all the time. They trusted God with me and they prayed over me and they gently nudged me in the way that I should go. And when I got old, I didn't depart from it. And I think and I believe that if you keep your children around the things of God and around the anointing when they're young and when they're little, when they get older, they will not want nothing else. They won't crave the things of the world. They won't hunger and go after it. No, they will want God. But you know what it takes? That that phrase... And guys, and I know we're going a little long, but please stick with us. This is, this. is I believe this is from the Lord. That phrase, to train up a child in the way they should go, that word to train means to dedicate them to the Lord like Hannah did. I'm going to give you to his service. I'm not going to hold on to him. I'm not going to be fearful. And I'm not going to just maintain this level of unhealthy control. I'm going to give this baby to you because you've given me this gift. And I'm going to steward over them well, but ultimately they're going to be out of my care someday. And I'm going to wean them onto the Holy Ghost as quickly and as, as, I, as I can. And I'm even going to let them make mistakes at times. And I'm going to let them hear from God. And I'm going to let them see, you know, I was led in that, but I wasn't led in that. My kids will now come to me and they'll say, Lord, my heart's, or they'll say, Mommy, uh, the Lord's checking me on that. My heart's bothering me on that. I'm not going to do that. My 10-year-old does that. I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to choose that. I'm not going to hang out with these people. Why? Because I've given them a little space to hear from the Holy Ghost. And I've given them space. And, I, and I you know, we teach a lot on this. But if you go on to read about Samuel, you would, it's just amazing. In verse 18, it says, He ministered to the Lord even as a child. He was wearing that linen ephod or that that represented purity. It represented that he was dedicated, sanctified to the Lord for his use. But him becoming useful as a child made him a, a useful adult. And in those adolescent years, his mom giving him to the temple, he served God. Do you know what he did in the temple? He probably lit the candles, took care of these very natural elements of the church, and then he also opened and closed the doors of the temple. This is where we get in Psalms, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Why? Because as a young child, we begin to serve God and give him our life. We we would rather serve him in his house then dwell in all the things of the world, in the, in the, in, in the, the other things that will not benefit us in life. So to encourage our children in this and to dedicate them fully to the Lord. All that to say, I'm gonna give this to you, but I just noticed over the years, I love what my parents did for me. They prayed for me. My grandma, she prayed for me constant watching and praying. And I'm so grateful today because my grandma prayed me out of wrong relationships that I may have gotten into today. But I'm telling you the power of prayer, the power of a praying mother, and a fearless, and to live a fearless motherhood. Yes. It is one of the most powerful things we can do. And to give our children, to lend them back to the Lord. Yeah. To recognize That they are a gift to us, but ultimately they belong to Him. And I'm going to let go of all my fear of what might happen, what might not. God has these precious babies in the palm of His hand. I'm going to let go of my fear. I'm going to let go of my insecurity, my control. And I'm going to trust Him with them. When it comes to every element of life, I'm going to trust God speak to them, to move on them, to draw them into his presence every week. What is my responsibility? It is to have them around the things of God. It is to constantly put it before them. Every morning to talk about him. Every night to pray with them. I think about Jesus when they all went to When they went to the temple, again, it's such a picture of what Samuel here. It even even says about Samuel that he grew in the stature and the favor with God and men. What is that? That's what they said about Jesus. And they went to the temple, the whole family, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, to dedicate, to come and to, when they were in the temple, to present their sacrifice. And as they were caravanning back home, they couldn't find Jesus. What was it? Three days days later, he was 12 years old. Had they given him a little bit of space to breathe? Had they given him a little bit? And as they went back, they went back home. They recognized he's not with us. (laughs) They searched all the relatives. They asked everyone, where is he? Where is he? And when they figured out we need to go back to Jerusalem to look for him, he said this. I just wanted to read this to you. Do I have it on here? Yeah, Luke 2. In Luke 2, he says this. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He's in the temple, in the church, talking about the things of God. And then it goes on and it says, they did not understand this statement, which he spoke to them. Now we understand. Then he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and, was sub- and it says he was subject to them. What does that mean? He submitted himself to his mother and father until the right time. Amen. But when he was 18, he became an adult. And it was time for him to move. From just being a child, their child, to being their brother and sister in Christ. And he knew that day was coming. In verse 51, it says, when he was subject to them, uh, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. (laughs) She pondered these things. Wow. Twelve-year-old seeking God in the temple. Jesus, it says, he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God. and men. But Mary and Joseph, they kept him around the things of God. They kept him around the anointing. They consistently made a habit of bringing him to church. I love this too with that scripture that says that train up a child in the way they should go. That's the way they should go. That way is actually just simply in certain habits, training them in certain habits, training them in certain ways. Train them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will continue with those healthy, godly habits, and they won't depart from That's it. right.
0: Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817 577 0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text legacy and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.